Hello, Internet. We are happy to be able to say that this is our 50th episode of the Event Hubs podcast. We are nearing our one-year anniversary mark, and it only feels like we've been doing it for two months or so at most. So thank you all so much for listening, for continuing to listen, for telling your friends about this. This is one of the parts of the week that Catalyst and I both look forward to the most, and you guys are great. You're awesome. We are very appreciative that essentially you allow us to keep doing this. So thank you so much. Uh, we'd also like to congratulate Kefalonia underscore Jay-Z for winning a copy of Street Fighter V donated by War Crimes. And thanks to everyone who participated in our most recent giveaway. As far as content today, NetherRealm Studios has been under a bit of fire after allegations of harsh and grindy work environments have surfaced, and this seems to be something of the norm for game development companies in general here in recent times. Capcom releases their latest IR report, and let's just say the path into their future has a giant neon esports sign above it. We also talk about some backlash from 801 Strider over last week's episode of our podcast, discuss the struggles of content creation as Born Free may be ramping down soon, lay out which characters you should be choosing in Mortal Kombat 11 if you want to play a top tier and more on this 50th episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. I'm having a weird morning because I woke up feeling actually pretty sick, but not so sick that I wasn't going to go about my day. I played Mortal Kombat for a while and then got exceptionally sick, and now I've felt amazing for the last hour and a half. So I've had a roller coaster of a morning. I was thinking about calling in to work this morning but now i'm not and now i'm here and I actually have more energy than normal so go figure i i'm wondering if you're gonna die in the middle of this podcast right now what, what's going on with yeah, did you like take a shot of adrenaline? It's, it's crazy or? i don't know i don't know what it is but i'll take it where i'm at now i'm fine so i'll take it <laughs> knock wood okay well um on that kind of sobering note we've had a lot of sobering moments here in the fighting game community as of late it's been a uh, rough a week things. man it's yeah. been a rough week and i don't even care who you are like if because if, we'll get into it but event hubs has been uh on the receiving end of some of some shade throwing but so is nrs and so is uh, apparently uh, there's it's all over the place man so no matter who you are you are not safe in the fgc uh, as of this yeah. like last week yeah actually i think it's a great place to start is, is the nrs stuff uh, and there's a lot to the story. I don't think we can get into all of it here because there's just so much in there. Um, but the the main accusation leveled at them was by contractors and other lower level workers on their team that were having to go through you know a crunch period to get I, I think Mortal Kombat 11 and some of their other games shipped out the door. Mm-hmm. And when I read the story initially, I was I have friends in the industry. You know I know what the crunch periods somewhat look like at a number of companies. I don't want to say all, but uh, the fact that you're working, you know, 70 hour work weeks are more, you know, and you're working seven days a week and you really don't go home. A lot of people are just like sleeping out the office and all that. I get that. Um, for myself personally, the first six years of event hubs, I worked seven days a week, uh, 90 hour work weeks, like on the regular. I don't even know how many hours I was working. I was just pretty much constantly going. Uh, I could actually count on both of my hands how many days I took off over a seven year period or six year period or whatever it was uh, a long time. Um, it was a uh, not good because I actually ended up putting myself into the emergency room uh, twice with big time kidney problems uh, that actually lasted me for a few years and, and and racked up some pretty large medical bills in the process because I did not have insurance at the time to uh, help me cover for that. Um, so what I'm getting at here, I, is- I just want to say that one time I picked up an extra shift and ended up working like 45 hours total at Red Lobster one week, and so I can completely identify with what you're saying because that was a pretty right. strenuous week. Right. Uh, I, I think all of us has been, uh, have been there to some way, you know, shape or form in terms of like, hey, you're, you're sick and you're powering through it, right? It takes its toll on your body, though. That's a really unhealthy work environment when you do that stuff. I don't want to single out NRS here so much because, again, like I said, it's very common at video game companies to do this. Well, we heard about it at Rockstar during uh, when, when yeah. Red Dead, right after Red Dead came out, right? That was a big deal, too. And it sounds like, well, so how you started this part of the conversation where you're like, I get it. Um, it sounds like that's more or less the unofficial kind of norm, and it's almost like an expectation. Now, I'm not saying that it should be an expectation, but it's starting to sound to me as kind of more of an outsider that this is just kind of how things work because we're in the big leagues and you got to get your AAA game out there and it's got to look better than everything and it's got to hit the deadline and you don't want to 
I don't know, screw up at the at the launch. So everybody has to put in all this time. And it just seems like the the machine has been set up to work this way is what I'm starting to garner out of this. But correct me if I'm wrong. No, I mean, that's my feeling of it, too. And I, I want to you know be very careful about stating I don't think it's that way everywhere in video game development. But I, I mean, you hear this enough where it happens more often than not. One of my good friends, uh, childhood friends, uh, he, he worked on the Tomb Raider franchise and, and he just talked about abhorrent uh, working conditions like all over the place and whatnot. So. I do start to wonder if unionizing the this industry is kind of the best thing for it at this point in time, given how many examples of this we have. And I'm not an expert here, so I want to be very careful about how much I weigh in on, you know, standardizing basically, uh, you know, the video game industry um, and making like, you know, everyone have to be, a, not you don't have to be in the union, but pretty much like a union is kind of like what they do to protect the workers and, and to kind of get stuff a little bit more back on track. It's like, I think there's going to be a number of problems with it short term, right? This is how the video game industry has always worked. And so if you you change that up, you're going to have repercussions from it. And, and many of them are going to be negative. But the idea would be that long term, your health and welfare are taken care of and the resulting products are going to be even better and people are going to be treated better. And that is actually going to benefit everyone. You're not taking advantage completely of people's passion doing this work. You are setting them up for long-term success. And that in turn sets you up for long-term success as a business because healthy and happier workers do better work. Oh, for sure. For sure. If you have people going to bat for you because they care about your success as their boss versus they're just trying not to get fired or yelled at, that's a night and day difference. Right. And as far as as this particular situation goes, and by situation, I don't even mean just NRS, I just mean how it seems that the development schedule for these bigger video games and probably a lot of similar sort of entities uh, is going right now. It doesn't seem like it's very sustainable. Imagine what making a game was like, you know, back during the Super NES days versus what making a game is like here now. And what are the price tags on these games? It's like they're still very similar. They were $70, $80 back in like the Super NES days for a while. And I think they dropped down to 50 And then I think they were 50 for like the norm on N64. Although I do recall, I think Hey You Pikachu, which was a trash game, don't get it, was much more. But my point is they're still sitting around like $60 nowadays. And there's a lot more that go into these games. Plus, you have all that, you know, continued support with all of the DLC and such. So it's a different process now, but we're still kind of expecting the same sort of thing. And the price tags are about the same right now. The team that went into making Mortal Kombat 2 is probably significantly smaller than what NRS is using to to make Mortal Kombat 11, right? And yet we're still kind of paying the same amount. Yeah, there's a a point of like, you know, the grind or the crunch that you you kind of have to do, and we do it here at Event Hubs too. You know, we'll have a major game coming up, and we'll pour uh, pull people off of you know projects that they're doing, and we generally try not to exceed much in the way of like forty hour work weeks. We do have overtime periods and stuff. We we pay our people overtime though. <laughs> That's something uh, I think is pretty crappy to do to people. Like, oh yeah, just come in and work for a bunch, and we're not going to pay you overtime yeah. at all. Whatever. You know that that I can never condone and accept that. Uh, that's really crappy to do. Anyway, but. You have to do that sometimes to get a product out, out the door. It is healthy in small doses. Like, hey, let's get this done. Let's get it over with. Let's just, you know, do it. it, it it's kind of what you have to do, right? And I don't. Maybe I shouldn't call that healthy, but it's it's what you have to do sometimes, right? Um. Anyway, I. It just you need better regulation with this stuff. I think is what we're both getting at, and, and try to find somewhere uh, where you have a happy medium between both parties. Uh, do not make people work unpaid overtime. That is crappy to do. Yeah, that is so crappy to do. And I get it. I get what the laws and other stuff are with this stuff and how they 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 skirt by and how you know that is um accepted in our industry. But man, is that ever some bad karma yeah, to, to force on the people. I think we're on a weird, bad path. Or not, bad is probably too harsh a term. But something needs to change, something significant. And I like that idea of a union. I don't have any mm-hmm. better answers at this moment beyond just changing the direction that we go with, with video games in general and what we appreciate and what we prioritize in our game development. But I don't think that that's the easiest answer. And it's probably not the one that most people want to hear. So... Um, yeah, I like the idea of a unionizing or something, but something that regulates this uh, just workhorse, you know, axe to the grind kind of mentality that seems to emerge every single time a big game is is near near completion, but has to hit those last deadlines. And I will say that the you know, the industry does seem to be 
very good about hiring people that maybe don't have like a lot of experience or background and then bringing them up through the ranks and giving them a lot of training time and other stuff. Even in that very article where people are complaining about a lot of things at NRS, they say, hey, look, some of my supervisors and coworkers were amazingly talented and great people that, you know, worked with me and taught me a skill and got all the stuff going for me. So there are many sides to the story here that, you know, it's so much to touch on that this would be an entire podcast and probably two or three if we really wanted to get into it and talk about how to solve it and all the nuances and things going on. We're trying to give our listeners a little bit of an overview of what we've heard and what we know. Um, but there's so much here that, uh, probably a good time to move on actually (laughs) so yeah um on a more happy subject here um i'll say that that capcom's esports plans actually came up very recently in one of their investor relations reports and i just want to remind people listening at home that investor relations they can't lie in there and get away with it like they have to be very truthful and i know capcom has maybe not the best of reputations when speaking to the media and other things about maybe saying things that don't come true uh and the investor relations you get in big time trouble if you do anything like that uh so whenever we mention that there's a report from there you can pretty much take it to the bank that that is at least they're attempting to make that a very hardcore reality um, and they're trying their best. So there it is. So um, anyway, uh, Capcom's doubling down right now on their esports initiatives. We've talked about it quite a bit where uh, they say that, you know, they're working on esports and other stuff. But in this most recent report, uh, they say they're going even uh, harder on esports, um, stating they're going to construct a business model from the medium to long term perspective to develop brand new ventures. And they specifically cite like the Street Fighter League, which is, you know, uh, was a little bit of a results at first but as we've talked about here on the pod uh, you felt it, it's going pretty well uh, the rage league over in Japan um, but apparently there's even more coming on top of that and I don't know what that is yet obviously we'll know a time um, but the fact that Capcom is saying hey uh, this is good we're gonna do even more I'm going holy smokes uh, I didn't see that one coming where you're already going in pretty hard on esports and now you're saying oh yeah we're going even harder well don't they cite rage as the you know the Japanese counterpart to what we're having right now with the league right so the rage league in japan don't they cite that as like a huge success i don't know what their metric is for that but i think they've you know cited a lot of like the fans are very excited about it and very hype uh, over it i don't know business wise how they cite the success on that i don't think that's listed but um that is a little bit of a a catch-all there in terms of the fans were excited about it you can say that about a lot of things our fans are very excited about our podcast but we're not going to say you know how many people are listening necessarily you know (laughs) you know then we're very happy with our listeners and the amount we're getting like we're thrilled it's going great but but yeah right okay so but they've had they've seen at least some of what they were hoping to see with these other ventures and like i said a couple of times now the north american version of of the league is going very well it's been very exciting not only have we had some pretty awesome competitive moments of gameplay but we've also had some storylines especially with the people that were selected i think it was a really good idea to have the the way that they had people that are are voted in because they're more likely to be uh, i guess you could say charismatic community figures or good in front of a camera and there are a handful of people that are good in front of a camera so it 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 evolves things and it, it makes it kind of more nuanced as far as how entertaining it can be so yeah we have success in the in the places that Capcom has gone as far as esports and thus far we we had a conversation about this I think the last time an IR report dropped because it said something similar it was like we're going we're going doubling in for esports we're looking to you know one two and even I think they said something like even 20 years in the future which felt a little bit like an overstatement but it gave us an idea that they're really going in with this and they have a lot of confidence in this and at this point Capcom and esports equals Street Fighter, and more specifically Street Fighter V, because it's all we have right now. But in through this report, and as much as they have to say about the Street Fighter League and how they're excited about esports, I don't think they ever mentioned Street Fighter V directly. Yeah. And I don't know if that was on purpose or if that was because they're not necessarily worried about Street Fighter V directly in this, especially if we're talking 20 years down the line. They're looking to future titles, maybe, with how things are phrased here and, and how the picture is starting to emerge. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. 
Yeah, they, they, I actually have the quote here, and they say they want to continue leveraging the popular Street Fighter versus series, uh, fighting game series. A um, little redundant there, but uh, that many consider to have started esports. Um, so, I mean, they, they specifically cite Street Fighter, but as you mentioned, not Street Fighter Five. Um, it continues to kind of build a little bit of, a, you know, writing is on the wall, I think, for the game. Um, uh, but, I, I mean, you know, people should generally, you know, be excited. You know, that, that means Street Fighter Six is coming, I would say, in the reasonably near future. I, I mean, I, there's no way that Street Fighter Five. I, I would, you know, I would bet a couple hundreds on this one, that Street Fighter Five has nowhere near the lifespan of Street Fighter Four, and, and that was about, you know, a decade-ish or somewhere around 10 years that, that Street Fighter 4 lasted. I think Street Fighter 5 is going to have, what are we looking at here? We're on, you know, year three, a um, little over year three, uh, you know, maybe another year or two, you know, and, and I think we're getting another entry in the franchise. Yeah, I would put it about that too, maybe a year and a half, I would say, before we see 6 come out. And it'll probably be based around Capcom Pro Tour schedules, right? So you'll probably yeah. get it sometime late in the year so that we can start the next year finish the year with street fighter 5 start the next year with street fighter 6 or whatever it is that comes and replaces it but here's the thing it's interesting because the contrast of esports is thriving and we are firing on all cylinders and excited for the future and things are going just fine with street fighter 5 especially the pro tour we've had some very entertaining events people are tuning in people are excited about it it i should note it's not almost ever like the number one game as far as entrance it, it feels like it's starting to slip to like tekken 7 or dragon ball or of course now mortal Kombat. like they're um i'll just back up there and say it usually is the number one game uh ultimate has been beating it as of late but usually it's at ultimate type events or smash events where you know ultimate's number one uh you know at 2gg prime saga we've talked about that and then at pound it had 800 people in there for smash ultimate i don't know what event in recent like street fighter history has, has had 800 entrants it's few and far between um i think even combo breaker had what is it like 500 entrants combo breaker, yeah it has a a, a very high amount but there's more for Tekken 7 and there are also more yes. for, for Mortal Kombat and Evo yeah. I think it's like third or so um, in the rankings behind uh, Smash and I believe Tekken uh, and so it's like compared to Street Fighter just always being the top game save for maybe yeah. at a Smash centric event it's not as popular as it was and there are other games that are definitely rising up and I'm sure it still wins out more than it doesn't but yeah, so you have this this game that's doing pretty well, but they also haven't done much in in support outside of you know the the new costumes and and whatnot. The, just the regular stuff. I'm wondering. I don't know. Should we talk about? Do we think that there is even going to be another character this year? Do we still think that there's going to be, and oh, how long boy. it's going to be? Or but it's, so maybe it's just enough that I bring it up, and we have that reaction, right? Like every, yeah. you and I both, like oh, uh, here, oh yeah, oh boy. And I bet you most of the people listening are kind of like getting that, that. Their eyes are rolling. Their hearts are kind of going. Uh, I, I mean, here, I know Rose is coming. I know Rose is coming to Street <laughs> Fighter Five. That is my. You guys bought me a coffee cup. With Rose on it, you know, mm. and my son, you know, knows my whole family knows who Rose is. My wife knows that that Rose is my original waifu, you know, and like that. This is it. Like, and I'm still like, you, you hear my reaction. It's just, ah, you know, uh, it, uh, damn it. You know, that, and that's it. So that reaction juxtaposed with we're going hard with esports and we're excited for the future feels a little weird. Now, I don't, I'm not going as far as to say, huh, yeah, right, Capcom. You don't have enough momentum right now to do that. Nothing like that. I'm sure it's fine. I will just add in there that that they do cite in their report that that DLC and digital game sales continue to be a big deal for them. Um, they they state that that's quote unquote taken off in the U.S. and Europe, um, which is big a big deal, um, and that makes a lot of sense given how much DLC we see for Street Fighter Five. Um, and, and that is again when they have a bullet point like that in their investor relations report, you know that's doing very well for them. That is something again they cannot lie about. They can't say oh yeah DLC sales are huge for us, and they're like you know terrible right um they're they're flat out uh not only do they say they're doing well they're doubling down yet again on dlc and digital products going forward they want to do a lot more of them not just what they're doing now but even further um they cite stuff like you know the street fighter 30th anniversary product which i i, I think they might have had a retail release for that one i forget though you know that did very well for them as well um you know they they have a lot of bullet points in there of, of stuff that's doing quite well for them and <sighs> It would make sense for them to do more characters in Street Fighter V, right? Like, based on that alone, it's like, okay, it's doing well for you. Why not do more of it? Unless, of course, you've got other fighting games in your pipeline that are coming out that you want to dump those resources into. Or maybe they do have, like, say, five more characters, 
and doing things differently is okay we're gonna make these awesome and we're gonna hit every and then we're gonna keep them quiet and then we're gonna hit everybody at the same time with all of them and it's gonna be a release similar to what we saw in you know like ultra street fighter 4 when we got all the characters at the same time in the update what if they're doing something like that and that's what doing things differently means and they actually yeah. are still very much invested in five and in developing dlc characters for five and it's just a different approach i love that we have th- this doing things differently was a quote made like what in january i think it was december. or maybe it was even december and, and it was i don't want to say it was a throwaway line like but I, 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 I don't think that yeah i don't think andy wong uh, a, a very nice gentleman uh he's no longer with capcom um i think he moved on to marvel i'm not 100 percent sure where he moved on to a lot of a lot of good Capcom people have gone over to Marvel, mm-hmm. which is awesome. I, I don't I don't think he had any idea like who would like that line would have such a heavy like influence on everything we've talked about about Street Fighter Five pretty much like since. Well, it wouldn't if it wasn't the only bit of information that we have to go off of. Pretty much, and, and that's how ridiculous it is. And, and I I I just hate reading so much into that comment because it's it's as you say it's like the one thing we've got and. and that can mean so many different things. They're just so frustrating to me as a fan to 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 have to resort back to that so much. And I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Yoshinora Ono, um, someone at Capcom needs to jump on Twitter or go on Capcom Unity, type up three sentences or less. How about 280 characters, a Twitter limit, and say something about what is happening with the game? Literally, that's it. And, and we would have so much more information to go off of. Uh, Matt Edwards uh, over at Capcom UK has said there are plans in, in the works and people are going to be excited about you know about them when they hear them. Uh, ono said that he talked to Capcom USA about you know more characters coming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've heard stuff around the games, right? But we've heard so very little in terms of like outlook, right? It's just like there's hints and other things and, and it just they're so they're so incomplete it's so incomplete on what this should be in terms of messaging and other stuff it's just yeah there's a lot of frustration here you can hear from me probably because of the rose stuff as well but hey (laughs) you know we all held out for for and don't worry no spoilers here but game of thrones we were promised winter was coming we were promised Mm. things like dragons were coming all these fantastical things and it took a long ass time for most of that stuff to come and we held out and it was fine and it was great so I'm going to take more of that stance. It's like, eh, good things come to those who wait. I'm going to manage expectations and say that the, what is it, the things are, we're doing things differently. I'm going to put that at about 90% didn't mean anything. 10%, oh, it's this brilliant secret <laughs> code for, it's, we're going to blow things out. 90%, that's not going to happen. I suggest everybody listening does about the same. If and when something comes, we'll be happy. And until then... We'll just bide our time. We'll play some Mortal Kombat. We'll, we'll fill in the gaps. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm personally hyped for Marvel Four. But anyway, moving on. Mm. Uh, Capcom is is uh, getting back to what they do best. Uh, this was another kind of part of their uh, investor relations report. They're not trying to make games that heavily cater to what they think American audiences want, uh, and that's been an over um, uh, arching message from their company as of late. Um, you know, they're doing really well. That was a big thing about the investor relations is that the company is doing really well right now. Monster Hunter, Devil May Cry, Resident Evil. Um, it would be really nice to see them kind of doing that same approach for their fighting games again. Um, I'm pretty adamant that the last great fighting game launch we got from Capcom was Street Fighter 4 back in 2009. Uh, that was a very full featured and great product. You mean in terms um, I actually, of the launch of the, of the quality of the product? Exactly. I actually think, like, content-wise, Street Fighter Four had more single-player content in it than Street Fighter Five does right now. Hmm. Uh, and I could be wrong, uh, but I think that's the case with, like, all the different modes they had in there and all the stuff that, that you could do. I actually I think it had more content, um, which is kind of crazy. Um but yeah, uh, it's it's nice to see that the company is going back to their roots. It, it is the, the cap god status, as we've heard. Um, that is a messaging we're hearing um, from their developers and in their investor relations report that, hey, we've heard you guys loud and clear. We understand what makes Capcom Capcom. What is the expectation that people have for our fans? Uh, you know, our fans have of us, I should say. And that is 
Um, you expect us to make the games that we make at a great level. Um, we're not necessarily going to cater to the trends and the, the whims of what we think you know, like American audiences want. That's how we got Marvel Infinite and the graphics on the game. Um, we're going to do what we do best. And it's like, thank you. It, it, it's, I don't expect Nintendo to go out there and be Microsoft, right? I expect Nintendo to be Nintendo. That, that's fine. It's Nintendo should be the best Nintendo that they're capable of. I don't want them to be Sony. I don't want them to be some other company. Just be yourself, you know, and, and be true to what you are and what you do well. And finally, finally, Capcom is putting that messaging back out there again. It's they're not trying to be something that they're not. And I'm happy to see that especially over the last couple of years with feeling like Capcom's not really had its way and is unsure and there might be some kind of rift between USA and Japan internally with the company and uh, to see it come kind of come back. I think that we want change. We want them, like if they're screwing up, we want them to go through a rough time so that they learn, so that they change and so things are back on track. And it sounds like things are at least beginning, if not already started to become back on track. So it's a good look. Um, all right, so moving right along here, um, there have been some rumors on the internet of Tekken Cross Street Fighter kind of coming back. And one of the things that Harada said in, in this piece that they did was that Capcom actually at this point in time could still say no to Tekken Cross Street Fighter um, returning at this moment. And Harada himself is actually worried that if they release the game, it might interfere with what Tekken 7 has going for it at this moment in time. Uh, he cites being very successful with their esports movement. Um, I think the game has sold quite well. Uh, I believe it was up over 3 million copies last we heard. Um, yeah, somewhere around there. Um, but, but Harada goes on to say that traditionally, the life cycle of a fighting game is very short, maybe one or two years, and then you make a sequel. But Tekken 7 is very successful as a service game with its DLC. Uh, that makes it harder to justify releasing another game while Tekken 7 is doing so well. So it, it's... I get it. Like, why why kill the golden goose? You know, if Tekken 7 is doing great for you, you've got a, a pro tour built up around it. You've got all this stuff going on. You've got a lot of goodwill from the community. I really enjoy Tekken 7. Those freaking the slow motion finishes they have going are so hype. They're never um, not cool. Yeah, exactly. And the game looks great. It plays great. Like, it's a great game to watch. It, it A lot of the problems that happened with Tekken Take Tournament 2 are gone. You know, and, and they did it really well. So why mess with that if it's going well, right? Like, you, you've got a great, you know, uh, season of DLC going on right now uh, with Negan and a bunch of other characters. Not so fond of Julia when she's in Grand Finals and the Grand Finals take five hours. But <laughs> besides that, I, I think the game is really at a great point. Uh, and, and again, why mess with it? So so he, he hypes up DLC sales and that that is really working for Bandai right now. And so it's like, let's not screw up a good thing. And I'm wondering, okay, so does that mean we're going to rock these DLC sales and keep milking Tekken 7, appropriately so, and that's instead of moving on to develop um, a Tekken Cross Street Fighter, or is that in place of moving on to develop even a Tekken 8, and is there a pecking order for those three things, you know, in in the schedule, right? Like, does... I mean, my answer to that would be there has to be, right? No matter what is... is we don't have an infinite amount of resources to fall back on to develop games or do anything in life, right? Whenever you do another project, you're taking away from something else's other potential. So I think that's definitely a consideration. Yeah. And then do you think that the next thing on the list would be more along the lines of a Tekken 8 or some other venture? I mean, I would assume it would have to be. And I mean, you have the next generation consoles coming up as well. And, and the thing I'll get into now is a big thing about these games is is so much of good timing and good marketing. And and Street Fighter Cross Tekken, you know, the one Capcom did was such a, a bad title in that regard in terms of the timing was right for it. The marketing was really terrible because right before launch, they had the on-disc, you know, DLC stuff that just blew up right in their faces. Um, the launch of the game was terrible because, like, it, you had the audio issue when you would play online where the audio would just stop working, like, halfway through the match. Uh, the netcode was very buggy and had a lot of problems with it. Um... Yeah, I don't know when that awful taste of that game will be washed out of our mouths. Um, I think it's still there. It's certainly still there for me watching all the time overs and other things. I mean, uh, I hated it. Um, and I don't know how many people are still truly hyped for this crossover like they were back in the day when that was announced at Evo. Right. I mean, it was at Evo. People were kind of like, oh, you know, you know, finally we get to see, you know, Tekken versus Street Fighter. Like we've never seen this before. We wanted to see it, you know, for, for years. Um, and and. 
so so much hype that faded fast and a large part of crossovers in general is a novelty of seeing something you you don't see every single day and that novelty kind of went out the window when when that game was so bad right that's it's how come you don't often see sequels to to unsuccessful games it happens here and there and sometimes it works really well uh, and you know it takes off and becomes a thing but but very often that stuff just kind of fades away and dies and so I still think that a Tekken, you know, cross street fighter could work. Uh, but I just, I think the hype levels were kind of like a 10 out of 10 when it was first announced, you know, like way back when. Um, uh, and now I think that's down to like a three or a four out of 10 for the game. It's just like, yeah, I think people would be good to see it. Like, you know, there's been so many rumors and other things over the years and they're still obviously very huge fans of both franchises, but it's like, are we even going to get that great of a game now? Um, it almost seems to me like the developers themselves, like the way that Harada is talking about it, like even their hype and excitement just isn't there. So, well, we don't need it. Right, it's not something that was supposed to fill some hole or gap that isn't filled at this point, and it wasn't something that had a deadline and that still has that deadline. It's there was the idea that we are going to make this game, right? Bandai was like, mm-hmm. we're gonna make this game, and then life happened, and they said, hey guys, this game's going on hold, but they let us know, and they said we want to do right. it for sure, but hey, life happened. Tough titty. That's what that's you have to you have to deal with it. And that's been the story ever since. In the meantime, we've had plenty of stuff in its wake to to keep us entertained, right? Mm-hmm. Tekken Seven right now is is just booming, and it's been around for a while. And I think it's showing that it's going to have more longevity than I think any other Tekken game, as far as the competitive scene goes. If it's not already longer than any other Tekken game, I'm not sure. But it's not like we're sitting around and tapping our feet for this game. It would be nice to have. There are plenty of people that would really love it. There are plenty of people that would, oh, yeah, I'll give that a shot. But it's not a necessity. And so it's kind of fallen into this weird novelty place. It's almost like it's not better, but it's interesting if Tekken Cross Street Fighter never actually gets made and it just remains being that like great white buffalo out in the wilderness that we saw one time but never captured and never were able to actually... You know, it's the Yeti that never actually came to any kind of fruition and you can't prove it and the kind of a thing. But it's it falls into that kind of obscure, like, that would be cool and it maybe becomes a meme. And, and then maybe like five or ten years down the line when things are not as they are right now and schedules mm-hmm. open up or whatever, the planets realign for this. And like you say, the taste of Street Fighter cross Tekken is kind of officially washed out of everyone's mouths. And, man, it's sad to say that because... The things that you like listed about the game and why it failed, they're not even part of the game's identity anymore, really, right? Like the right. time overs and, and the on-disc. Uh, those were still there, actually, until the very end of the game. I remember uh, um, uh, Capcom Cup, like Highlight or whatever it was called before, um, Capcom Cup, I, I forget. Um, but um, the, the entire highlight was like Tokido and other people winning, like Infiltration winning via time over. Mm. Like they get a life lead and they sit on it for like 30 or 40 seconds and just, it was awful um but i agree with you overall sorry i just uh, the time overs have really given me ptsd all right (laughs) i couldn't let it slide i'm sorry anyway that's the other thing about this if you screw up even just a little bit on something that the community finds crucial or for whatever reason the community deems worth going in hard on that becomes such a detrimental thing and it becomes like part of your identity as a game and then you never leave it like we're still talking about time overs when we think about street fighter cross tekken right that's one of the first things that pops up in our mind and then the on disc dlc and not the fact that it was regarded by a lot of people as like as far as gameplay goes incredibly good like immaculate one of if not the Mm -hmm. best modern fighters but we don't think about that and we think about marvel infinite we don't think about the successes we think about chun li's face which was changed and it wasn't Mm -hmm. even released that way it was pre-production but it shows you how far those roots go and how how strong first impressions are so yeah if you're if you're bandai right now you're doing good don't mess with a good thing man don't put yourself in those risks don't roll the dice until you have to until you're ready to i cannot disagree with their decision to just stick with what's working with tekken 7 there's no reason to rush a tekken cross street fighter right now yeah, I agree. Now, you, you, there's a point you, you brought up there about reputation stuff in the, the fighting game community, how you have an impression of someone or, you know, a, a phrase or wording gets like thrown around and people run with it. I wonder if you have any experience with this, John Clickbait Guerrero. I mean, I've, has someone in recent times maybe called you out, you know, and, and said that, you know, they, they have something, you know, that they maybe disagreed with you on that you, you wanted to chime in on? Nope. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure. We'll move on. So. <laughs> so, what he's talking about is last week's podcast. Gosh. Uh, so, so there's a bit of a Twitter altercation between myself and 801 Strider, who won Northwest Majors and the CPT online events a week or two before that with G. Um, if you tuned in last week, and actually, if you've been tuning into the podcast for the last like month or two, uh, you'll know that one of our central focal topics has been G as a character in Street Fighter V. The reason being because he's, well, he's been the point of a lot of discussion for uh, multiple reasons, which we'll get into. But essentially, the uh, the headline that I ran on the article for last week's podcast had a list of uh, most of the topics that we spoke on, one of which, which was positioned like in the middle of it, was the fact that G wins another CPT event, um, which I thought was significant because we've been talking about well where does this character land as far as the tier list go japan says that he's really bad but uh, the west says i don't think so not quite so much he's been identified as a potential robbery character anyways the, i'm probably preaching to the choir here because most of you that have been listening know that that's been one of our our threads our our, our narratives that have been going through um, the last couple of weeks and months is this character and so the headline said G wins another CPT event, and Gustavo got angry and said, BS, I won another CPT event, insinuating that we were taking away from his victory and his abilities as a player to win, which, of course, we've only said good things about Gustavo on these podcasts, and he's come up a handful of times because he's, well, for various reasons, but recently because he plays G, and we've talked about how he's, um, you know, he's just a, a player that lives in Utah that doesn't have a, a big local competitive scene, so he has to grind online and in the training room, and he's, despite having that kind of obstacle, he's done very well for himself, qualified for Capcom Cup, he, he deserves these wins, and never have we come to the conclusion that G just is a free win machine, that anyone can go on the character select screen, pick this character, and win a tournament. We've never said that. I'm, we've never even implied that. We've said there's some goofy things about him but at the same time this is street fighter 5 there are some goofy things in the game i've said as much as you know i don't think this character is breaking the game i think that he's not the best designed but even if capcom doesn't change him i won't be losing any sleep over it if they wanted to make things a little bit better they could probably tone down his v trigger but yeah gustavo was very angry very upset and yeah kind of went in saying that that headline was clickbait and that it was i guess essentially more driven towards taking away the victory that he got and making making it seem as though the character is just free wins. Yeah, so um, I'll go ahead and grill you here a little bit um, cool. and, and ask you, like, why why did you write the headline that way? You know, people are probably wondering at home, like, okay, so why did you even, you know, write it that way? First of all, two things can be true at once. Gustavo could have earned his victory with G and G could have, as a character, won two events in a row. Really what it comes down to, I said all of these things that I just kind of went over to articulate that, the conversation hasn't been about the specific players. It's been about this character and how he's affecting the game. And that's basically the focus of what we've been getting at. And there is a place and there's a part of the discussion where we talk about Smug, we talk about Nemo, we talk about Gustavo and, and their abilities. But the real center focus of all this has been G as a character in Street Fighter V. That's the significant part of all of this. But it was never to take away from Gustavo. Yeah, I want to jump in. I think that like of all the G discussions and stuff we've had, I think we've brought up Gustavo maybe less than 20% of the time, like the entire time we've been discussing G on the podcast, which has been a lot as of late. Um, and I think I get it. Uh, I, I think I get why he kind of went and ran with this a bit. And actually, um, I love basketball. I love the NBA. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are kind of known for taking as many quotes as they can get out their hands on and kind of turning them into motivation, right? Sometimes not exactly taking stuff in the best of context um, and then using that like as motivation to get the team up. Like, hey, do you believe like this writer said this about us? And, oh, so you, know, you mean quotes, not like motivational posters, but like things that journalists or so-and-so has said negatively about yeah. them? Yeah, like Steph Curry's not that good or whatever. Like he's amazing, right? But anyway, uh, you at, at a certain point you you have to actually not even at a certain point. Motivation's a struggle for everyone. You always have times like, okay, I can either watch the latest episode of Game of Thrones or I can go log two or three hours in a Street Fighter Five, right? Like, what what one are you gonna do? And if you feel like someone is kind of dogging you a little bit and going in on you, like that's extra motivation that sometimes you need to go in and log more hours in game, right? 
Yeah. The more time you practice, the more time you put stuff in, that is going to make a big impact. Um, the Golden State Warriors are paid a lot of money to play basketball, and even they need that motivation. Even they need people to like you know get in on them a little bit, and you know they'll post post that stuff up in their locker room. They'll do different things out there to to say, hey, you know, do you see what so and so said or whatever, to get everyone riled up a little bit and get them in there. And to me, looking over Gustavo's kind of history and other things like that, I think he does that a bit. I mean, I I, I don't think he wasn't miffed about this for whatever reason. No, oh, not for whatever reason we know right but i think that maybe he's playing it up a little bit also for a little maybe you know notoriety on his end which is fine look um as a player uh you're not just there just to play the game you have to have a personality you have to have you know something for people to grab onto and latch onto right um that's very important especially if you're trying to get sponsorships or you are sponsored and you want to keep that sponsor you need to keep your name in the limelight and so sometimes you're going to put some opinions out there or do some things that are going to be controversial or play stuff up. And so I, I think there's some multitude of factors here that, that are kind of playing into stuff like why he did what he did. Because I've spoken with, with Gustavo before. Um, I think he's a very highly intelligent player. Um, hearing this guy articulate his thoughts about the game and what he does, it, it was impressive. It was really impressive. And I don't think he's a bad guy. Um, I think maybe we caught him on a bad day or something like that. And I think these other things I'm mentioning here are kind of playing into it a little bit. Um, I, I I certainly don't hate him or anything like that. It's just kind of like, ah, oh, that sucked. Oh, well, you know, to me. But, but well, yeah. the whole thing sucks, man, because, like, I, I've never been, like, close friends, but we've played many a set at, you know, a major, gone to each other's rooms to, to play or whatever, you know, do casuals and grind and whatnot. And uh, I even spoke at Northwest Majors briefly, right? And so he's definitely been a friend. And it feels like this is kind of out of left field, this this the way he uh, approached the whole situation like i can get especially if you're if you're feeling particularly sensitive about a subject or something or you have a, a bad day or whatever but man the as far as the negativity on twitter goes and someone attacking myself or event hubs or whatever like that's water off a duck's back that's a diamond dozen every day and wait two weeks or less and that's gone from everybody's memory right it's it's very fleeting and that's not really what bothers me about this what bothers me is that i feel like i'm kind of losing a friend over it and and it's not that like i'm that i have issue with gustavo really i feel like it's just that he's taking great issue with me and it hopefully it's not like I would hope that it was more of just in the moment, but he hasn't, you know, followed up on it or responded to any of this, um, to the few tweets that I put it out there, you know, after he uh, initially started all of this on um, on Twitter, and it just it sucks because it's like the feeling of losing um, that relationship, and and mm-hmm. that sucks. So that's that's my main takeaway. That's kind of when it when this all comes up, that's what's going through my mind and my heart, and uh, it's lame. Yeah, uh, it's um. Your friends can hurt you worse than pretty much anyone else out there, right? Uh, and uh, I think if uh, I've had a few, you know, friends kind of bomb out on me on the FGC over the years, and it happens. Um, but like someone like if Gutex jumped on and, and you know said like Event Hub sucks, I hate John Catalyst, he's an asshole and stuff like that, I probably wouldn't leave my room for a week or two. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be one of the worst like feelings I could ever have. I think um, there's certain people that we have just like a high amount of respect for, uh, and just their words sting harder than than pretty much anyone else's can and I, I think i think all of us you know have been there before with a friend or two you know where we've had a big you know falling out it, it, it hurts so so anyway i say all that to say g's a broken character and that uh that he's free wins and all that stuff this, this is my <laughs> is your takeaway <laughs> gotcha <laughs> uh but speaking of a, a good friend of ours um uh, born free mark He's actually recently just put out a video that talks about him going over to Twitch from YouTube. And one of the main things that, that he cited here is that he can make a heck of a lot more on Twitch than he can YouTube. It sounds like he's making basically pennies um, over on uh, YouTube doing interviews and all that kind of stuff. And he cites stuff like the, the travel issues and the investment it takes to do that versus like what he's able to do on Twitch. And, and you and Mark are really good friends. And I kind of wanted to get your take on what's going on there. Yeah, well, I've heard this many times youtube does not sound like the place to make money unless you're you know someone like ninja or or something like that and even then it's more you know it's more about twitch and such it's like maximilian who's got now over a million subscribers is has had a lot of issues and it sounds like youtube is just a, a very chaotic place to try to make money on things it just i don't know the particulars 
but it doesn't it's never sounded good so he's a uh, a content creator right and he's best known for his interviews that he's done very passionate and and to the point and ask the right kind of questions to a lot of uh, players from all over the world which we just you know haven't had those kinds of interactions with a lot of these fighting game uh, pros until born free in a lot of ways and uh, so he's doing those but then he's also done a handful of skits to try to continue to grow his brand and and become a real you know bigger fgc content creator right and then also he's more recently started streaming i think he's doing like a podcast with automatic so he's really trying to get his stuff out there and um what he's i guess realized or noticed is that it's not working very well on youtube twitch seems to be where it's at but he's kind of doing one last hurrah where he's kind of doubling down on on the the few different avenues that he's previously gone through. So doing skits, doing interviews, and then doing the you know live streaming. Seeing if he really goes hard on each one, if anything sticks, and if it doesn't, well then he's considering kind of removing himself as a content creator, stepping down from that, and doing something else more like in real life as far as monetary and financial you know gain is concerned taking a step out of the FGC, not completely, like he says, he'll still go to events here and there and whatnot, but certainly we won't be seeing as much from him, which, I mean, is if you're an FGC member, that's a tragedy, right? And so it's kind mm-hmm. of somber news yet again, but that's kind of where he seems to find himself right now. And it's a lot of just, you know, this doesn't seem to be working. And um, and also you got you to gotta take care of number one at some point. And so that's the situation he seems to find himself in. Yeah, I, I just want to state from personal experience that, that being a content creator in the fighting game community is damn hard. Um, my heart really goes out to Mark here uh, because a, he's a good dude um, and he's feeling the struggle right now of trying to make it make it go. Um, I, <laughs> I've i advocated about as hard as anyone against, you know, people using ad block and other stuff. And this is a reason why, you know, and if you do use an ad blocker, please do find a way to support the people out there that you care about their content, you know, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Like, um, I think Mark is talking about like a Patreon. Um, you can also subscribe to him on Twitch. Um, there's a lot of ways to support the people that you care about, right? Uh, I'll just say that that one of the big stories that I, I would talk about with event hubs is is the first year I was working on it. Um, uh, my hosting fee was was ten bucks a month, like just to host the website. It's quite a bit more now, but uh, uh, ten dollars a month, um, and I could not make up my hosting fee the entire first year I was working on the website. And I was working full time. Uh, I had a full time job at my newspaper, at the newspaper here, I should say. Uh, I was busting my butt to get this to go. Um, I, I think that changed in year two. I, I forgot how much I was making then, but it was not that much. Um, but I, I had a vision that I thought would work and I thought if I kept pushing for it, it would finally go, uh, year three comes around and what happens it's 2009 street fighter four is released. It changes my life. Uh, I quit my job at the newspaper. Uh, I regretted that about three or four months later, <laughs> I actually considered going back to work at someplace like Best Buy or whatever to kind of like, you know, uh, supplement event hubs and get it going. Um, but I got lucky and got like this huge government tax credit, uh, and then revenue picked up from, uh, the website and got going that like gave me basically like a loan, um, that I could use to kind of get through everything. And, and then, you know, obviously it's taken off from there. Um, I signed a big ad deal, uh, you know, and some, you know, seven years later or whatever, we have a, a full-time staff uh, of six people, uh, including myself, and now we're going to actually have a seventh soon. Um, Only so, if they win in Smash, though. There you go, exactly. <laughs> um, what I'm getting at all here is that, yeah, it's successful now. I am extremely lucky and happy to be in this job. I, I'm thrilled, you know, but... There was a lot of struggle in there, and it was hard as hell. Um, and again, my heart really goes out to Mark and it, all the all the content you know creators in the community. Like they work so hard to do this stuff, and, and I wish people were a little bit more. Uh, understanding of that and a little more supportive of it. I'm, and I'm not saying that everyone who creates content in the community deserves to do it as a full-time job and, you know, damn you people for not supporting them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I wish more people appreciated the work that goes into it and how very hard this is to do. I mean, uh, we can look at SRK right now. Um, uh, they uh, apparently have stopped paying all their workers. Um, they're updating like less than, um, I think they're they haven't updated in like two weeks or something like that. They're, and uh, one of the owners of the um, the Shuriken website has even said like their their company had been operating in the red for like a year or two or more or something like that, like a long time. Um, the site has pretty much been obliterated. Um, it's it's hard to make this work. 
it is very, very, very hard to make this work. And so, uh, again, I, I just I do hope people you know take more note of that and, and try to be just even more you know supportive, just in the messaging that they send across to people. Like, hey, um, I've looked at your content over the years. I really appreciate what you do. I hope you keep doing it. Um, that stuff goes a long way, even for us. Um, it's it makes a big difference. There's a sense of like you see certain things and you go, yes, this is what we need more of. Like this is what I want to see more of. But it's oftentimes something like. A, like a born free interview, right? Where it took so much in the way of I have to plan this trip and then go and then talk to the the player and figure out a, a you know a time to meet with them during their schedule and get a translator and all the money that goes into traveling and and who knows what else and and then editing and all of that. It's like there is so much work for that kind of a thing. I hesitate to just all out like point the finger at people and go, and you'd rather just click on memes or something like that or talk, you know, smack on Twitter. And that's where most of the focus goes. Cause it does like, right. A lot of us just yep. gravitate towards that. And, and I, I'm a human. I know exactly the, the feeling like I like that immediately, like, like that feeling of satisfaction of, you know, interacting with those lesser things on Twitter or whatever, as opposed to appreciating and donating money to, and you know, the, the, the content like like Mark's stuff. And I mean, let's let's be fully transparent here and just say we study this stuff like actively. We see what people are clicking on on our website. Mm-hmm. We know how well the meme stories do versus like in-depth content and other things. And just real quick to tie a bow on that is doesn't mean we ever go away from the in-depth con- in-depth content, but we also make sure that we post enough of the lighthearted meme stuff to keep people going as well. And of course, that's the things we get the most complaints about, right? Like people are like, oh, why are you posting this instead of like, you know, this most hardcore analysis on G that goes in up and down. Well, we do that too. And then we get complaints about that as well. We get complaints <laughs> about everything. So right, but anyway. one gets yeah. like 10 times as many as much attention, right, mm-hmm. as the other. And so like, what are you going to do? Right. right. So I, I hesitate to bring up like best of five because I'm, I'm part of that. Right. But but even that and it's it's more specifically, it's like it's Ace King offsuit and what he does for that show, because he's oh, the man. one that pulls up all of those recaps. He makes the graphics. He's the one that kind of leads the charge on a lot of that. So in, in some ways um, that it's not even his baby. It was like Efren's first idea. Right. So the, everyone contributes. But Ace King does a lot. And he's mm-hmm. one of those figures in the community where. I put him in the same boat as Born Free as far as what we're talking about here. Like someone's like, yeah, we need that person to keep doing what they're doing, to keep Mm -hmm. talking about the things and delving into the things. And yet we don't put like enough resource and time and and attention and focus into those people so that they keep going. Like sometimes it works out. Like we have Maximilian, right? And Mm -hmm. and he's he's grown up from being, you know, at a starting point similar to Born Free, I'm sure, just a, a YouTuber nobody. And now he's over a million subscribers and he's the FGC. But how many people like that that would have been just as good or good in different ways um, and have just gone by the wayside because we don't acknowledge it. So this is the friendly reminder to go out there and support those avenues in the FGC that might not be as exciting as, you know, who did so-and-so piss off or whatever. It might not be as funny as a meme, but they're very crucial and important. So please support those things, guys, um, because they're going to go away if you don't. Yep. That's a good lesson to learn. All right, so moving up next, we have the most popular characters in Mortal Kombat 11. And and this is something you wanted to weigh in on. Uh, What are you seeing so far? You've been playing the game. What's going on? Yeah, so um, it's early for sure. We've had the game for two weeks, but it's about time to start talking about these sort of things. And they don't have to be 100% accurate, but they are 100% accurate in terms of how the community is seeing things right now. Who is emerging as, you know, who has the most broken stuff and who's able to win more often than not? Who are you going to have the easiest time playing and winning with versus who's going to be a nightmare? Because for some people, some people are just going to play a character because they love them, especially in Mortal Kombat because the characters are so uh, just like lovable and memorable and such. But some people just want to have easier times playing the game. And so if that's the case, we have gone through and looked at a couple of tier lists that have come out. We have MK Rio, who is a, an amazing Mortal Kombat 9 and an early Injustice player, and also Sejam who's who's you know one of the best um analyzers of data in the fighting game community he's he's really good at looking at a myriad of different styles of games and being able to pick up what's good and what's not um and and that's what a big part of what makes him such a a strong commentator but both of those uh, figures have come out with early tier lists and then we've also had some results from uh, well not a lot we were having summit of time play out this weekend and then combo breaker at the end of this month and those will be uh, some of the biggest mk11 events as far as competition goes that we've seen but we do have northwest majors 
and so yeah, I just kind of look around um, at this at these early results, this early data, and see who you would want to play if you want to play one of the top characters. And both Rio and Sejam have the same top five, not necessarily ordered in the same way. Rio just orders them in in alphabetical order, and I'm not sure if Sejam has them as one through five. But the top tier are as follows: Garrus, Sub Zero, Scorpion, Sonya, and then Aaron Black. And for mm-hmm. various reasons. Garrus seems to be the best character right now. This is what people are, are most often kind of bringing up when you're talking about top tiers. And it's, as crazy as it seems, the fact that he can rewind time or add 30 seconds to the clock or do a just kidding move where he jumped in wrong or you or you hit him and you're comboing him and in the middle of his punishment or him getting punished, he can just rewind time. You think, well, that automatically makes him the best character in the game. That's not even what it is that's making him so good. It's his pressure mix-ups, his command grabs, and how much damage comes from them. Uh, that it's just really uh, uh, getting it done for this character. So it very well might be that we figure out something that completely makes them null and void or or there's some other character that has it way better. But right now, the perception is that Garrus is one of those best characters in the game, and that's kind of why. And then um, I, I don't have in-depth analysis for every one of these, but I know as far as like Sub-Zero and Scorpion go, they're fairly simple characters to play. And I think that was by design because you want you're probably too most recognizable characters to be easy to play because most people are going to play them when they first jump in. Sonya seems to be able to dole out crazy damage with uh, just built-in stuff that's good in the Mortal Kombat universe. That being, she she does these strings where she can go high or low. Either way, she does a lot of damage if she selects the right path and she's often safe. So it's just a lot of that kind of stuff. Plus, she's pretty good with zoning with her ring blasts. And then Aaron Black has... A, a very strong control of the neutral, not so much with his normals, but just with the options that he has with his guns and the fact that he can throw acid on the ground and manipulate you. So a lot of these characters doing really well right now. That's not to say that you can only win if you play those. Um, in fact, Noob Saibot, Chris G's Noob Saibot won Northwest Majors. He's much more of like a kind of a zony kind of character. And he's actually number one, I believe, right now on our Event Hub's community voted tier list. Yeah, and just to jump into, um, yeah, as you mentioned, Aaron Black, uh, Garrus, uh, Scorpion, Sonya, and Sub-Zero uh, being top five there. Um, uh, Adaptive Trigger also did a story about the top 100 usage in terms of character stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Black is number one far and away um, up there, uh, followed by Liu Kang, uh, Garrus, Scorpion, uh, Noob Saibot, and Sonya. It's because he's the coolest Mortal Kombat character ever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it's it's the um, the tier list are, are pretty reflective right now of the usage stats that we're seeing. It's not you know exactly there. Um, Sub Zero actually you know falls down like kind of in like the the fourth tier in terms of popularity, so he's not that far up there. But like almost everyone else is. Uh, Liu Kang is you know oddly he's a poster boy of MK, so I don't know how much that has to do with him being up there. Uh, he's you know labeled as good by a lot of people, but not great right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it is interesting that the the it's always kind of like the classic thing with data, right? It never tells you 100% of the story, but when you see data back up other, you know, things that you're seeing, like the eye test and other type of stuff, you go, oh, okay, that's probably a thing. You know, so I'm, I'm really hard-pressed right now to say that, like, those five characters aren't going to be probably, you know, top five or, or, like, maybe, you know, top ten, I should say, at least, um, uh, probably throughout, you know, the next several months, as long as we don't see, like, a big balance patch or anything like that. Well, and that's um, totally on the table. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. Um, but it is cool to see, though. Like, I, I love seeing data back up other data. Yeah, and I should also mention that Sonic Fox, uh, the undisputedly best NRS player in the world, is playing Aaron Black as far as competition goes. I'm sure he has virtually every other character under his belt and will probably switch off from Aaron Black in the near future. Uh, but right now, he's he's participated in two NLBC events with some very strong competition at these events, and he's won both of them with Aaron Black. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about like garbage tier here real quick. Yes. And it, it does seem like Devora is like universally considered just hot garbage. Like mm-hmm. no one's in the top uh, 100 playing her. Uh, the unfortunate part is Katana and Raiden are in there as well. Uh, they don't seem to have as negative of opinions as Devora, um, but but they're definitely not good. Like no one's putting them in the upper echelon of, of tiers right now. Um, so that's also what we're seeing. Yeah, for sure. And then also Frost, Kotal Khan, and Shao Kahn. Both of the Khans, who are supposed to be like big boss, heavy hitting characters, are amongst the worst in the game. 
One other note I want to make about all of this is, though, especially if you're just playing Mortal Kombat for the first time, this means probably about diddly squat to you. <laughs> because mm-hmm. when we're talking about what goes into making these tier lists, and, and I've been playing MK for, well, what, you know, a good two and a half weeks now or whatever it's been, and really investigating the, the meta and the competitive side of things as best as I can. And what it really comes down to, it seems, if you want to be good at this game, the requirement is you learn your character and what's good about your character. And that takes, you know, maybe like an hour in training mode or whatever, maybe a little longer, maybe a day, who knows. But it doesn't take all that long. The thing is, the way this game is designed, in order to thrive in it, you have to know everyone else's strings where they go low where they go high where they're punishable where they can cancel what everything looks like and you have to be familiar enough with all of that that you can pull out a quick you know flawless block or that you can interrupt at the right time and it's 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 you can't be thinking about it you just have to know with your fingers that this is where this happens this is where i interrupt this is where they're going to go either high or low and these are my options and i gotta just pick one and that's right now that's for 25 characters you know including your own if you do the mirror match and only more are going to be coming so if you're not worried about how you know aaron black can do back three or or, i'm sorry back two three times and then cancel that into his uh, to his gun stance to make it safe like if that if that was news to you then that's the kind of information that we're talking about the the kind of intricate knowledge that you're gonna have to know for every single character eventually and i don't think anyone has that knowledge right now but when we're talking about tier lists and competition like that's the level that we're talking about so if and i think that there are a lot of people that are just like i like mortal Kombat. i figured out a couple of like cool moves and sequences that are fun to do um and doing fatalities is great especially pissing people off online that's fine uh don't worry about trying to play one of these best characters or not play one of the worst characters it doesn't really apply in in that vein and now john compares street fighter to other stuff Okay, let me let me do a big giant warning here. All right, so we're going to get into our Game of Thrones Season 8 analysis. So if you are not caught up on Game of Thrones, like giant flaming spoilers here, d- turn off the podcast right now. Don't listen any further. Game of Thrones, spoilers hardcore. Here we go. All right, so we're going into to season eight, uh, episode three right now, and and I'm personally like, hey, you know what? Like, I you can't really shock me anymore. I I, I know what the series is going to be doing. Like, I have an idea of where where stuff is going, and you know, it, it's kind of like Birdie in season four. Um, I I didn't really expect him to be very much, and all of a sudden, like he explodes out of nowhere with V trigger two and like shocks me, and boom, it's like a dragon taking an arrow to the neck and dying. It's like I I didn't see it coming. I had no idea that was going to happen. Uh, he's bleeding all over the place. He goes and dies in, in the water. That's what Birdie <laughs> is doing to other people right now on the Capcom Pro Tour. Boom. <laughs> I'm going to put in, before you start talking about this segment, a little bit that says, now John compares Street Fighter to other stuff. And we're just going to make this a regular segment on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, all right. So, what do you think is going on with Daenerys? Like, do you think she's going to sit on the art? Like, they seem to be setting her up for like failure, right? Like, like they're they're um they keep like showing how she's like you know waffling like she's going to kill a bunch of innocent people and all that. And you she know, might she, be John's the Mad be King a- Part Two. Well, I think exactly. that she's out of meter, man. I think that both of her armies have been very much reduced in numbers. And like at this point, if she's going to have beef with anybody after this is all over, she doesn't have the the manpower to really kind of hold her own. She's down to one dragon. Who knows how many Dothraki are left, if any. Like, So not a good situation. So if she's going to make a move, it's got to be suddenly out of nowhere in the middle of the fight before things have, uh, the dust has settled. And I think that she'll have to do something like that because otherwise it's way too Disney storybook Game of Thronesy, and that's not the Game of Thrones that we know. So All right, all right. So so I'm going to drop the bomb here and just say, is, is she the G? of game of thrones like it is straight up <laughs> because you know she's a wild character like she I, you know she's got like the robbery aspect she has of, like, a dragon you know, she does yeah. have a dragon yeah it pop and v trigger one boom right there like it is you know i mean you wouldn't exactly call it a shock if she ends up on the iron throne but at this point you might right and so maybe g he's lurking beneath the surface maybe he's you know doing some stuff there like like is Daenerys the G? Would we feel Fifa? terrible if she did what she does and and wins that way? Yeah, and I feel terrible when G wins with his crap against me online. So sure, I can see where you're going there. I'll give you a sure. 
Okay. All right. So so next up, and, and this will be our last bit here because we don't want to get too far, you know, Game of Thrones like event hubs. That's coming, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna, you know, do a whole spin-off website. <laughs> but anyway, um <laughs> who's Cersei in Street Fighter Five? Like, who is like cause that that girl, man, she just infuriates you. Like she just smirks at you and she does some evil crap. Like she is just like the, the definition of evil and hateful and like you just want to choke her. You want to choke her so bad. And I'm trying to think of the equivalent character in this game where, you know, because Daenerys is G, like that's fine. Like who is the character that he comes up, or she, and, and you just want to kill that son of a gun? Well, like, okay, just, it's not hmm. fair to compare because the first one that comes to my mind is Rashid, but I would never, first of all, dupe Cersei down to Rashid's level, that's blasphemous. Um, I don't hate Cersei. Like, I hate her, right, appropriately, but I enjoy her as a character, and she's got a lot of charisma. So that immediately takes away from from a lot of characters because <laughs> they don't have charisma in my eyes. So Are, are we talking about Akuma level now? Is Cersei Akuma? Like, yeah. You know, really, yeah, yeah, like evil incarnate, but she's got enough, like, personality, and, like, there's enough skill there that, that you respect her, Yeah, right? you're not like, mad like, about it. You respect it. Yeah, yeah. Rashid's kind of like, like, you're on Greyjoy. Like, he he's getting a lot without even like earning it at all like you know like he's killing some dragons he's like he's having sex with the queen and all that kind of stuff he's just kind of getting away and with he's it, constantly but... doing that stupid rashid smirk all this time. <laughs> oh my gosh that's ridiculous yeah but you know yeah cersei's got like the you know double air fireballs right she's always pulling stuff out that you don't expect she's always very clever and all that kind of stuff i think that you know and, and, and again they're both like evil as hell like they just they have that look of him where you know he looks a bit like the lion king type stuff going on but he still looks evil as hell um but yeah so there it is yeah i think that's the right answer i think cersei's akuma man i'm excited for next week when john compares street fighter 5 to stuff yes there we go all right so that's gonna wrap us up i think we're gonna get in a heck of a lot more trouble if we go any further than that um but that is going to be all for this week's episode of the event hubs podcast and we hope you guys enjoyed listening to our incredible game of thrones analysis we're going to like you know take over the internet with that like uh it's it's just going to be unstoppable like every website's going to be referring to us in the future just saying wow their analysis is brilliant like they it's just like it's like they're you know coming up with stuff on the fly and discussing it and thinking it's like really good but um yeah couldn't have put it better myself i agree with all those things that you just said (laughs) all right thanks y'all for listening and we'll see you guys soon (laughs)